My name is Innocent Mugenga, and you're listening to the Learnability Podcast. We all come from somewhere and aim to make a journey through life. Constant change. This is an open-ended exploration of our ability and desire to learn, grow, and adapt. In conversation with inspiring individuals and experts in the fields of sciences, technology, behavior, and performance, we seek to find answers to how to navigate and win in this information age. The future is happening now, and we aspire to evenly distribute the knowledge by empowering your learnability. Let's go. My name is Lina Maria Mannheimer, and uh, I'm a filmmaker. And I'm here because of my new film, Mating. Mating, yeah. And that's what we're here to talk about as well. Tell us a little bit about the experience. And you can tell us first and foremost about the film. What is it about? And then the experience filming it. Um, my film is about um, Naomi and Edwin, two 20-something uh, Swedish people yeah. that I met a few years ago. Um, I I started this whole project with that I wanted. I was curious about what happens with our relationships when they suddenly take place on this infinite ultra liberal market that is the digital one where we can meet anyone at all times, anywhere. Yeah. Um, And how do we present ourselves there? What does it do to what we long for? And uh, how do you present yourself as an attractive human being? Um, so I interviewed 40 uh, people between 18 to 25, wow. so-called digital um, natives. Yeah, exactly. But I've never really lived in a world without a high-speed internet. Um, and I asked them questions about their mating behaviors, their view in the future, uh, what they, how they want to create a family, how they date, uh, if they have a good sex life. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they, if they see their possibilities of obtaining things in life and fulfilling their dreams. Yeah. Which is quite intimate, but also. We will get more into your findings there, uh, like what you actually found out. That's yeah. really a, a. Well, that was really for me my first research step. Was yeah. like okay, listening to these because I suddenly realized that I am among the latest generations mm. that will have actually been living in a before and after. Yeah. The transition generation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I actually remember when someone came to my school in middle school, I think. Yeah. And they presented something that was called the World Wide Web. Oh, okay. And I remember thinking that I must have misunderstood something because it's or it's like magic but it's like you type in something and you get a response and where and the whole like it was it was yeah it was incredible so i have learned how to use the internet in my behaviors and probably had to unlearn some stuff that you previously knew probably yeah yeah so i did these 40 in-depth interviews 
And that was amazing. Yeah. Really fantastic. I walked uh, into people's homes yeah. and I filmed them somewhere and I talked to them for about an hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, and Naomi and Edwin were uh, in these 40 people. Yeah. But And then I was interested in looking at what happens with our communication depending on which platforms we communicate at. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was also wanting to find a way of what happens with uh, authenticity and how do you relate to another person when you communicate digitally. And yeah. I thought that if I try this as a filmmaker only communicating with these new technologies yeah. with my main characters mm. i would see you know how, how do we get to know each other so in my film actually what you see the first interviews that i have with them yeah. are the first interviews that we have wow. and throughout the film you you know we never meet we meet this first time in 2015 and then we never see each other IRL so okay. to say so yeah, yeah. what you see in the film when they talk to me this is how we we get to know each other entirely through behind the screens my name is Josue I, uh, I'm a researcher in economics yes uh, my research explores how Online learning changes uh, how integrate our societies in terms of uh, race, socioeconomic status, and so on and so forth. Oh, yeah. And what we're doing here is we're sort of exploring how different verticals and different technologies are developing and how that might affect our, our, uh, the way we interact with each other and what we call love and uh, the future of that. So I want to start off with asking you about a field that I think you've researched a bit on, and that's our digital social integrations. Right. So one great thing about digital interactions is first, it's much easier to find someone who is also looking for someone like you. So for example, if I'm a divorced old male, it's kind of hard for me to find someone who is searching for me if I go to the pub every day. Or It's hard to, or if I'm an homosexual person who has a, a small uh, pool of potential partners, oh, yeah. meeting online makes finding someone much easier. Mm. Um, and that means that searching, there are fewer costs for that. Yeah. If, otherwise, perhaps you would be alone for a longer time and so on. And that's, that's one big thing. Another thing is that it gets us outside our social bubble. So, so we go to school with people are like us. We study with people are like us. We live with people that are like us. And our communities are highly segregated. But when Tinder online dating in general, you can meet someone who was otherwise a complete stranger, someone you would never meet. And that, that makes a huge difference because, okay, now you are interacting with people outside. And it's a bit the same effect that Erasmus has, studying abroad. So, okay, you meet new people, you start breaking the, the racial barrier, you start breaking the national barrier. And then suddenly you become much wider person in the sense of who you know and uh, who you could actually be matched to, which otherwise would be very difficult. For example, in the U.S., yeah. the average American, uh, the average high school student has less than one interracial friend. So before we could uh, cross the interracial barrier, but it was very hard. Mm. Well, Latino, we all live in some areas. Asian people all live in some areas. And that's a new thing that the online dating is doing. Yeah. 
you know, meeting someone randomly, and that's great. That's really the way you put it is great. You're sort of removing the lim limits of social, um, sorry, physical boundaries and opening up the whole world. So that's on the positive side. Have you explored any downsides of this or like uh, what, what could it, the neg negative side be of this? And th there are a few. So for example, it could be that um, contacting is, searching is cheaper yeah. and so is contacting. And maybe that will lead to some sort of, uh, you know, people are talking but not saying much, or the relationships are created are bad, mm. or there's some abuse. Well, there's possibly that there is some some sort of abuse that dating uh, companies are trying to prevent now, okay. in the sense of somebody sending a copy paste message to oh, everybody. Yeah. It's also true that in general we see that relationships that start online mm. tend to last a bit longer than those that. Longer. And they also reveal a higher degree of satisfaction. Okay, that's think, kind of counterintuitive. It's so counterintuitive yeah. because if you talk to uh, you know, another person, they'll say, well, Tinder is for hookups. Yeah. And, and all right, yeah, but many people like, okay, you're meeting, okay, you go for a drink, and yeah. then, okay, you want to go out later, and so on. And that, that was a, an incredibly interesting uh, paper in, in the scientific journal. And okay, it's because, you know, when you go online, you're actually searching. Oh, yeah. Maybe we all, every of us knows how if you go to a pub, you don't know the person you're going to talk to. It's also searching and oh yeah, oh, yeah. it is. So my name is Ilva Hansdotter and I'm a PhD candidate at University College Dublin where I am studying how we can leverage virtual reality, reality to stimulate social good. Oh, yeah. And uh, I also uh, have a non-profit organization, uh, XR Impact, yeah. where we are working leveraging VR to stimulate actions toward the UN Sustainable Development Goals. I love that work. I, I'm really glad you're doing that. And I think uh, having tried VR, I think it's a really good tool in giving us a, another perspective, really allowing us to get in different uh, positions. But I'll take you a little bit out of your comfort zone today, maybe, or not comfort zone, but your usual work. We want to explore VR in the theme of virtual love. So we're exploring different technologies and development, the development of that. We're talking about robotics, online dating, and I have this idea of virtual reality really enhancing the online dating experience. Have you thought anything about this? Well, it's actually not very far from my comfort zone yeah, because yeah, okay. it is about creating emotions in VR. And, and VR is the by far the most psychologically powerful medium we have ever created. Uh, the brain in VR thinks is there if it's a right. good creative experience. Yeah. So it's, it's creating real memories as if you were there. And you have physical and emotional responses mm. as if it was really happening to you. So, uh, so in terms of that, when we talk about relationships, whether it's with a partner or, or your friends and families, yeah. I think VR is a really good platform yeah. to foster that in many different ways, depending on if you know each other well, if it's a long distance thing and... Yeah. and yeah. It seems like our best chance to take uh, our digital life and beings into uh, uh, re uh, as close to reality as possible, right? Yeah, it is. And I had the opportunity to hear you speak at Stockholm Tech Fest yesterday. Yeah. And 
during your presentation, you spoke about our brain being able to recognize a virtual avatar within yeah. 20 seconds. Yeah, so uh, we usually think that we are very defined. Yeah. Like, this is me, those are my arms, you are not a part of me, uh, but you're real, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm real. But actually, our brain is really flexible. So it takes an average 20 seconds for our brain to accept something that isn't a part of our body yeah. as a part of our body if we do it in a good way. It doesn't have, even have to be in VR. Uh, there's an okay. experiment where you get a rubber hand to be like your own hand and yeah. you will respond to threats towards that hand as if it was your own. Wow. And you will also start redirecting energy from the brain to that virtual hand. And this has been proven to be the same in VR. Oh, yeah. So when you embody an avatar in VR, you get that for the entire body. And what's so interesting is that you start to associate yourself with the characteristics of that avatar. So if you're in VR and you are Albert Einstein, yeah. you actually, when you like take off your glasses and go into the real world, you perform better at problem solving because you know you were smart there and exactly. bring that out. So it's positive visualization and you can bring it to the real world and it's been shown to have lasting effects in the real world. My name is Elizabeth Yoakum. I'm an associate professor of art and robotics at Aalborg University in Denmark. And I work in the research laboratory for art and technology. How long time have you been into robotics? Uh, for quite a few years, actually, yeah, yeah. for probably the last 10 years or so. Wow. Uh, I started studying theater and uh, my PhD project was about combining robotics and puppetry and the arts oh, yeah. uh, with dance and live performance. And so you that started from the art and theater side and went into robotics. Yeah, it yeah. turns out there's a lot of overlap yeah, uh, between yeah. the two, uh, but not a lot of people uh, moving back and forth okay. between those two worlds. Yeah. So that's sort of what I do and what I've spent the last few years doing is yeah. building bridges between the arts and humanities and robotics and computer science. Because I guess that's what we're trying to do at the end of the day, uh, achieve <laughs> some sort of level where uh, with emotion, which assembles uh, human movement? or Yeah, it's yeah. true. So a lot of uh, researchers, particularly in the area of social robotics, yeah. for example, yeah. are trying to design artificial systems that are engaging, that are lively or lifelike, and that people really want to interact with uh, and feel some affection or affinity for. Yeah. And in the theater, we've been doing that for thousands of years. Oh. We've been creating artificial characters and artificial life. Uh, yes, we've been doing it with human actors, yeah. but we've also been doing it with puppets and inanimate objects. So I see a, a really close connection between the two, uh, even if the, the technology is uh, a bit different. Yeah, and I'll try to explain now the connection I'm trying to do uh, with what you do and robotics to the theme of this episode, which is called virtually love. So to do that, I'll start off with an example. I recently watched a Netflix uh, stand-up comedy of uh, Whitney Cummings, where half of the show is her talking about a sex robot that she uh, made of herself. And we've seen the movement from like, or I've heard talks about the movement from sex dolls into robots and furthering that. And if that should re reach its ultimate stage, it needs to be very human-like. So I'm interested in exploring how, if we will reach that stage, how the journey is going currently and our current situation, future of robotics, 
do you um, <laughs> get that connection between? Yeah. Uh, well, before I'll answer that, I'll, I'll, I'll turn it around and ask another question. Yes. Um, do sex robots need to be really human-like for us to have sex with them? Uh, people question. have been having sex with machines for an awfully long time. Uh, this sort of history of sex toys is yeah. that, right? Yeah. Um, and that's been a very profitable industry without ultra-realistic humanoid robots. Now, you're right, and, and Whitney Cummings is right, too. There's, there is a trend uh, that we've seen towards the development of these really hyper-realistic, lifelike dolls. Uh, and in fact, some of them don't look all that different than uh, research robots yeah. that we are using to study human-robot interaction and communication. Oh, yeah. So uh, I do think it is something that we need to pay attention to yeah. and yeah. be aware of. Um, it's also not that far off. Uh, there have been love hotels operating in Korea for a very long time. There is a robot sex brothel operating in Denmark, uh, not far from where I live. Some... Okay, yeah. so it's live and yeah. out there. Mm -hmm. That's that's crazy. <laughs> well, it's out there. Yeah. I'm not sure it's a lie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we can debate that yeah. point. But, uh, yeah. To answer your question, and this is not me, uh, my belief, but an answer to that question like do it need does it need to be human like i'm guessing what you're trying to get at in making it human like or the speculation around it becoming human like is that we will replace our human relationships and be able to have that fully with a robot robot so imagine um, a, a robot looking exactly like a human will we need a human sort of Right. And I think that uh, the distinction that you made just there is an important one. Yeah. And you're speaking to the fear that a lot of people have. Um, of course, for the entire length of human history, we have formed empathic, human uh, friendly relationships yeah. with um, with objects. Yes. Uh, you know, people name their cars. They feel empathy <laughs> for their phone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, you know, and both, you know, in technology in particular, we, we form attachments and ascribe sort of meaning uh, and, and lifelikeness to to objects and things that we know that aren't alive. Mm. Um, but when it starts to replace or become a substitute for real um, human contact, uh, that is what makes people uncomfortable. Yes. And I think there are reasons to be concerned about that, quite honestly. Um, I think the fear is, you know, human relationships, uh, interpersonal communication, they're messy, yes. right? Uh, we don't get to, to, to optimize and choose what our friends look like or what our lovers' uh, specifications are. Or right. to turn off a conversation. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So we really have to, um, uh, in, in the real world, we're learning to interact and deal with people. Yeah. Um, and that actually cultivates and continues our capacity for empathy yeah. uh, and our ability to feel responsibility and also be vulnerable mm -hmm. and attuned to other people's vulnerability. The danger when you start to replace those relationships with customizable machines that sort of respond on demand according to your will, uh, the question then becomes, will that erode our capacity to build meaningful uh, relationships with other humans? Oh, yeah. Um, and there are a lot of psychologists looking at this. Yeah. There are a lot of uh, folks uh, who are who are studying these kinds of things. On the one hand, yes, we want machines that are interactive. Yes. Uh, on the other hand, um, there might be some some downsides, and it's important that we consider them yes. while we're developing these technologies. I'm I'm wondering rather if what we're doing is trying to 
find the easy way out. So you were talking about relationships and it takes a lot of work in, in keeping relationships and you can spend countless of hours training on emotional intelligence. And But if you have a robot, isn't that what we humans do? We innovate to make life more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Could that be a motivating factor in us moving towards, or some people rather preferring to have a relationship with a robot in that case? Yeah, I mean, particularly in the area of social robotics, this is something that becomes very important, right? There are sort of communities and populations that would really benefit uh, from uh, interaction with robots over people, Uh, for example, uh, and that have real sort of therapeutic uh, benefits. There's a lot of really interesting research going on with social robotics uh, and children with autism spectrum disorder. Uh, There's equally, there's social robotics projects that are working with uh, elderly patients in nursing homes with dementia um, and incorporating robotics into that kind of level of care. Um, And, you know, there's very compelling evidence that these robot solutions mm. uh, are not necessarily substituting human interaction, but they're certainly sort of augmenting or providing uh, some kind of solution to real emotional needs oh, yeah. uh, for contacts for these populations. Um, it's certainly true that it's going to to happen in our social lives for in more mainstream circles as well. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to, to, to downplay uh, the possibility or the potential of mm. social robotics in our lives. Um, I just think we need to be careful and think through uh, where we want to be introducing these technologies and what some of the trade-offs are, because there are trade-offs. Yeah, and I'm wondering, do we really have any chance, because we're creating this to solve problems, actual problems, Mm -hmm. and it's it's a good solution. Like if you have someone in an elderly elderly home that has the opportunity to meet someone, Mm -hmm. uh, limited amounts of, of hours, but the need is so much more, if we can bring in a robot, that's very positive. But there will always be the downside. And we is there any way of escaping or, or keeping safe from that downside? Well, right. I think the the you know the the it would be great if we could meet somewhere in the middle, yeah, right? Yeah. So not to have an extreme reaction one way or another to sort of exclude all human contact <laughs> uh, or to reject all technology completely. Yeah. Right. Uh, our history, the you know, human evolution with technology, yeah. these are questions that we've been thinking about what our relationship should be. And um, I think the thing that's pushing the issue a little bit more are the media and the kind of media coverage of um, advancements in robotics and robots uh, that are now equipped with AI. And that's one of the things I'm discussing and looking at in my research is these sort of... um, uh, media performances mm. of robots and AI uh, that trigger the imagination, yes. but that also um, maybe are a bit uh, misleading in yeah. terms of the current state of the art about where robotics and where uh, AI applications really are at the moment. I, I think that's a big thing, media coverage and you get an image and you have a uh, uh, popular culture as well, films portraying a certain image and it's all speculations and that leaves a lot of room for our fantasy to take it to the next step. It's true. And uh, that's one of the things why I think this this theme of fake it till you make it yeah. and virtual love becomes really important.
important that uh, we as citizens are able to discern between the fact and, and the fiction. Yeah. And it's becoming increasingly difficult to do, just as it is within online and yeah. virtual worlds. Uh, it's also increasingly difficult uh, with kind of machines that we meet in our daily life, robots that are sort of giving staged performances. Mm. Uh, and I'll give you an example. There, uh, uh, recently, about uh, two years ago, there was a humanoid robot that was granted citizenship yes. in Saudi Arabia, yes. the Sophia robot. I read about uh, that. Ma made by Hanson Robotics. Now, that is a spectacular robot. It is yeah. absolutely a, a wonderful work of art. Yeah. But it is not an AI. Mm. And it also kind of troubles the question of when we, we're discussing human rights for robots uh, in a country and in a part of the world where women still do not uh, enjoy equal rights. Yeah. So these kinds of questions where... Mm, I think that they, these media performances yeah. uh, might be distracting us a little bit from, from important questions, uh, which is why I wanted to turn your earlier question yeah, around a little bit, really instead of uh, thinking about what the sort of human cost is, uh, what the human uh, and, and what the cost uh, and choices we make as a society are, yeah. um, to remember that we actually do have a choice in yes. building these robots. Uh, they are not inevitable, yeah, right? No. We actually get to decide how they get built, um, where they get introduced. Mm, are mm. we using them in schools? Are we using them in healthcare facilities? Um, these are human choices. A lot of what we're talking about here is new. So we're still learning a lot yeah. of it. You were talking about how you uh, were a part of this transition generation. Yeah. And we're really still learning. Some of, some yeah. of us are born into the digital, but I think yeah. even they how are learning. You? I'm um, born 91, so I'm 28. Yeah. yeah. So I also have my childhood without the digital. Uh, yeah. But not your teens. Not my teens. No, exactly. Exactly. That's a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about broader terms because you interviewed 48, did you say? 40. 40, yeah. sorry. 40 uh, teenagers or yeah. uh, young adults. Young adults, yeah. What sort of insights did you gain from these interviews? And what's, if you're to paint with a broad picture, what I'm trying to get at is all this that we're exploring. So if it's virtual reality, robotics, online dating, it's a lot in the future. And like we said, I think this is the generation that this is very relevant for. Yeah. So how are they uh, adapting to and uh, encompassing the digitalization? Well, one thing that I thought was very interesting was that I strongly had the feeling that they wanted to talk to me. Yeah. Many of them said, because I asked them in the end of the interview, I would ask them, so why did you agree to do this interview with me? Or what, what were you hoping to get? Or what did you want to give? Or like, why, why are we here? Yeah. And many of them expressed that I'm in the middle of something here. And I have no clue what it is. I don't know really how it will affect me. And I don't have much to look at because I don't really know. Yeah. So it was like they were feeling that they were contributing to, to a greater good oh, yeah. by talking to me and really wanting to me to give answers. Yeah. <laughs> if if Here's I the give data. this to yeah, you, yeah. you know, maybe you can explain yeah. to me uh, what's going on. Because, of course, you know, this is maybe the fastest shift yeah. technological 
shift or revolution that mm. mankind has ever known, yeah. which is mind-blowing yeah. when you think about it. So we know that this is a revolution. Yes. We know that it affects all parts of our lives, most probably our brains, yeah. the younger generation's brains. Yes. Our behaviors and we don't really know how and we don't know what the consequences will be and them growing up they can't look you know usually a generation they look at older yes. generations and they reject that they say you know fuck you yeah. i don't want to do it like this i'm doing it my way i'm doing it this way but you're in communication now suddenly you have a generation that first of all if you're not on their platforms mm -hmm. you're not communicating with them anything. yeah so even though you might be in the same house yeah. if you are not on those platforms where your children are at yeah. or your young adults you don't know what's going on yeah. so it's a very it's 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 quite crazy and that's talking different languages and also if we're talking about the generation shifts so there's a conventional way and for my generation that's what you learn like you you uh, go to school get a job get married and and so on yeah. whatever different cultures have different versions yeah. of that But today it's so fast and we don't know really what it is. I'm guessing they're just living in it, like you said. And yeah. there's no way of looking at that and finding answers. And there's no way of stepping back and trying to find... No. You're just going with it and learning as you're going. Yeah. And that was very... When it came to Tinder, for example, something that many of them said was that I'm there and I'm in there mm. and I do it yeah. and I get sucked up in it yeah. and then I get exhausted and then I get off it for, yeah. for a while. That oh, yeah. was very common. Okay, so they sort of need it's a like, detox from it. Yeah, because you, it was like a... I mean, now I'm generalizing, yeah. of course, yeah. but I... And also it was a few years, but that was how I remembered like many of the stories when that I go in there and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm there and I meet several people and, you know, maybe I sleep with them and, you know, I date several. And then it's just like this exhaustion, mm. I think, of investing emotionally and, you know, maybe you have met several people that you're not really interested in. No. And at the end of the day, you're just like, what the fuck is going on what here? Am what am I doing? And this is nothing yeah. or I'm hurt or oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, and they go on a break and then they get energy again. And, and I also think it's, you know, merely luck. I think it's a great tool yeah. to meet people. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have the opportunity to meet people that you would probably never have met otherwise. Yes. And it's fantastic. Yeah. But it's also, you know, that you're choosing in a huge pool mm. and you can spend a lot of time being in kind of bad or not really important relationships. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I feel, yeah. So I felt that it was like waves for oh, them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and I can get that because there really is the upside of being able to meet more people. It increases your chances maybe, but the downside is that you have to meet more people. Yeah. And that's strenuous in itself. Yeah. I like to play football yeah. and I moved to Germany recently. I have finding someone to play football is kind of hard. And Online dating has this effect that it's really easy to find a coincidence. Mm -hmm. And you would think, okay, maybe if we all have very strong racial preferences, well, we're going to, it's going to segregate us even more. Oh, yeah. But we know that's not the case because once you have friends from different groups, then the racial bias disappears. We know that, for example, from soldiers, there will be a high 
racial preference. Yeah. But when they come back from service, they once they have a diverse group of colleagues, yeah. then they're okay with everything. Okay. Revealing that maybe we just have a prejudice, but yeah. online dating, okay, you see and you say, oh. And I guess it's, it's quite a new medium. So the only thing we have to go on is our prejudice. And it's actually great that people like you are finding the data of, wow, it's actually this way. It's, it's, it's not what you thought. It's not what you thought, exactly. It, it's, it's funny because our governments and societies spend a lot of money trying to make our societies more integrated. Yes. And then something comes so silly as, as dinner. And then we're using all in a selfish way. Yes. But it has an effect when you look at the big picture. And uh, and the interesting thing is uh, Tinder started in 2012. Yeah. Uh, most of the effects are yet to be seen. Yeah. So this is what we know. Most relationships now, most uh, marriages now start online. Wait 10 years. Mm. I mean, in 10 years, it's going to be a complete revolution in how we are used to, to, to courtship, yeah. to... to are going to be completely, completely changed. And I see also a, a reason that could be that the relationships are longer and there's a higher satisfaction is we're doing it more. If we're dating more, we're getting more experience. We're sort of learning what we don't like, what we shouldn't say, and maybe becoming better. That's at it. very, very interesting what you're saying. There's this nice finding in, in economics that when divorce became legal, yeah. the number of cases of domestic abuse reduced by a lot because now women have the possibility of, okay, if, if I'm in a bad position, I just leave. Oh yeah. And the number of female suicides also reduced by a lot. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a bad relationship, well, if, for example, you're an older person, living it has high cost because you think, well, maybe I will not meet anybody mm-hmm. now. But now... Uh, Online dating improves your outside chances. You can leave and you can find somebody new. Exactly that. You can leave and then you can find somebody Exactly. So, and, and VR can also be used uh, by existing couples for, for couple therapy and, and for them to get to know each other better and, and maybe work to, through problems. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you could actually body swap with your partner so you can get to be in the shoes of your partner trying to understand and see how what you are saying from their perspective. And that actually works. So you can really see it from that other perspective. Yes. Because that's really, hard, seeing yeah. stuff from another perspective. It is really hard. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's usually what couples therapy is about, yeah. to understand the other person. And VR has been proven to be really efficient when it comes to, to perspective taking. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's one study with male domestic abuse offenders uh, where they uh, they were shown not to be able to classify fearful women's faces. Mm. So when they saw a picture of a, a, fear, a woman with a fearful face, that yeah. they they uh, classified it as, as a happy face instead wow. of fear. Um, and but after being embodied as yeah. a female victim in VR. Not their victim, but our victim, victim was yeah. enough yeah. to see themselves as a woman and see like a man doing that to oh, them. Okay. Their facial emotional recognition became in line with the control group of non-convicted men. So it really works. What do you believe is the future of online dating looking forward? Because we're talking in this episode about different technologies and right. how that might. I can see a Tinder with virtual reality, for right. example, or we're talking about robotics and how all of this combined and what we consider to be a relationship and love in the future. 
I work mainly in the field of algorithms. Yes. So I like to think of myself as a mathematician. Yeah. Um, and what some people are doing now is uh, trying to see how good you're a match for somebody else. And now, Tinder algorithm so far is pretty much random. It matches you. Anyway. But what if the algorithm, like in OkCupid, it yeah. tells you you are you're a better match for this person, so I'm going to put put it forward. Okay. And some people think that that could go very well. Yeah. I have some doubts. Okay. It's very interesting. It's the same thing, Tinder. But the algorithm, how people are shown to you. Mm. If people, if you think, okay, I'm a high compatibility with someone from my own race, then the fact of Tinder is gone. Yeah. So these um, suggestions should be, the algorithm behind it has to be very smart at deciding what is what is compatible oh yeah because maybe you think you're compatible maybe you're you're it's the only thing you know maybe if you cross to different things that's very interesting so what you're saying here or what i'm getting out of this is that we could almost create new boundaries so we remove the physical boundaries but we might add on algorithmic boundaries based of your profile maybe in that case right uh, for example, we have many types of online dating so far. We have Tinder, but we also have Bumble, yeah. which emerged as a solution to try to to reduce the number of abuse that women yeah. are getting. Yeah. Here, the women now have to, to start a chat. Yeah. And in a sense, I think as a community, a society, we're learning by mistakes. Yes. So, so now another mistake that I think Tinder has, that it could be improved, yeah. Yeah, is that many matches are generated but many of them don't exchange any conversation. Mm. So when I was in the game, I thought, well, I mean, many many profiles you see, if women say, don't match with me if you're not going to talk to me, I don't like it. Mm. Maybe we could redesign an algorithm that people that are matched actually want yes. to talk to each other. Where this social interaction is in focus yeah. rather than the swiping and matching. Right, that it's more about the real thing, that, oh, yeah. that we can waste less time in things that are not so interesting. Because that's very important. I have never used one of these dating apps myself, but I'm wondering how much time you actually spend on it. Right. And what we talk about here in Learnability is using the digital and our phones in, in a healthy way. So if, if dating is a good way of finding a match, we should use it, but maybe at limited amount where we're not spending all day swiping. Yeah. It means that you never use the day. And now you start saying, okay, I'm going to give it a go. But then everybody you're matching is like, you don't get anything out yeah, of it. Yeah. Like, there's no interaction. Then okay, maybe you don't start feeling too good. You say, you get like, oh, I, I don't like it. So maybe we could design this platform so that the matching, of course, there's more real interaction unless the algorithm, the algorithm is great if you don't see it. The more you see it, it means mm -mm. Yeah. So we can do better at that. If we're extrapolating into the future, we've spoken a little bit about the future here. Um, is the thesis of virtual reality being a huge part of online dating, is it viable or is it... It will be a huge part of online dating, yeah. but will it to, be of dating? Yes, that's good. I wanted to reframe my question because I realized I said yeah. online dating, of and relationship uh, No, building. so, so I, 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 yes, I do think already today, most people meet online. Yeah. Um, we're living in a more global world um, and, and there are also some people that 
maybe are afraid to go out dating. They might have, have uh, uh, social phobias or, or um, other things that makes them not want to go out there and, and, and have relationships. And in VR, you can actually put on this shield, but you will still get the emotions. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you, you will not get to intimacy maybe of somebody touching you, but maybe you will because soon you will have... Uh, the motion trackers oh, yeah. and, and you could even have oxytocin release into your bloodstream. So you can, wow. And, yeah. and, and we know that VR does produce real emotions and real memories. Yeah. So I think that it will be, um, it will be a big part for some people. And, and I think most of us will have been at least in a couple of dates in VR yeah. in like 10 years. <laughs> The sex industry is one of the most profitable yeah. uh, and that it has also been at the forefront of every major technological revolution. So I don't think it would be, you know, I think it would be unwise to sort of think that uh, robotics and the evolution of AI wouldn't be part of that or that yeah. there wouldn't find an application, a potential uh, market there. There absolutely is. And there are plenty of companies around the world, yeah. uh, in the US and Asia, mm. working on these uh, dolls, selling these dolls. Um, but again, I think it's important that we sort of look at how and where yeah, uh, yeah. They're, uh, they're being introduced. On the one hand, there's a great potential. You can kind of see the possibility for um, addressing uh, some of society's problems yeah. and, and, and some, you know, uh, for example, um, human trafficking mm, and uh, yeah. sex workers. Yeah. On the other hand, you're putting sex workers out of work, right? So the same conversations about, you know, will robots take our jobs? Oh, yeah. uh, this job. is also, you know, this is also employment for uh, a, a large, you know, well, a percentage of the population mm. and for, for people for whom other forms of work might not necessarily be uh, available. Oh, yeah. So looking at kind of the politics and ethics not just are sex robots good or bad um, or what does that do for us as people but actually how does that transform what is the larger impact of that decision um, on our society yeah. and uh, and there might be some benefits there mm -hmm. I think there are some cases to be made for it uh, and there might be some uh, some drawbacks too and what I think I think Asking this question to you, you really get that nu nuanced answer because it's a complex question. And you're a researcher and you, you come from that perspective, which I think is needed in this case. But what I'm afraid of is when it gets to the industry side, there's no nuance. It's profit, profit, profit. You stop asking the questions, should we do this or what's the implications and... Absolutely. Not, and not only is it profit, 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 but it's typically, you know, sort of male inventors making female bots, right? And we are serving disproportionately a percentage of the population. And I do think uh, it is worth, you know, considering these, these questions about, we were speaking earlier about how we sort of human relationships being messy and oh, sort yeah. of needing to yeah. learn how to, 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 um, to deal with people and to accommodate people and to take care of people. Um, a, a robotic lover yeah. that can be programmed uh, to do exactly uh, as you wish, yeah. right? Um, the danger there is that that, that translates over to behavior uh, in the real world mm. or that people stop to see the, uh, stop seeing uh, the importance of, import 
important things like consent oh, yeah. uh, yes. and uh, and mutuality and mutual affection in relationships. Uh, when it becomes when we turn sex and love mm. into an on-demand oh, yeah. service, oh, yeah. that is a danger, and that's something that we have to take very seriously uh, and and take seriously how it disproportionately affects women in society. Yes. I think we very often hear about these generations that the younger generations that they are uh, that they are weird mm. that they are not sensitive mm. that they're just all about hookup cultures oh, yeah. or whatever you mm. know that they're weird creatures so yeah, to say. Yeah. and I have to say that I found Naomi and Edwin so much more aware mm. of and talking about vulnerability, how do you get there, really aiming for knowing mm. that to have good relationships, to have interesting relationships, you need to go to a place mm. when you're vulnerable and mm. lose control. Mm. And they're very young and they were talking about it. They well. were really, so I think, which is not so weird, of course, when you, when you think about it, but, but I think, that living in one pole, you know, forces you to be, become aware and, and go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And I think they live in these bo both sides. Like they, they train on being more vulnerable yeah. and, and opening up. And, you know, they're so aware of that yeah. because of them living in this culture oh. where it's in a way very oh. natural, not, you know, not doing that. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I'm guessing also, if we're talking about the positive sides of digitalization is having the access to tools and learning about uh, being vulnerable and emotional intelligence and all this stuff. So you can actually have access to the, the tools you need to become more complete when it comes to your love life. I think above all that it's not technology that will ruin us. It's like we create something that we need to... It's like, you know, when the train came, people were afraid that our legs would oh, yeah. would dissolve oh, because yeah. we wouldn't use them. That obviously did not happen. No. It's the same now. Yeah. It's like now we, we will find a way of, of, of handling technology. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, there are many things that I do not handle in my film with, with robots and and AI and, mm. and you know, et cetera, et cetera, where that is a real, you know, uh, issue. Yeah, hopefully. Who will be in, in power over whom. But we're very adaptable human beings. Mm. We will find a way. What's yeah. going on now is that we're in the middle of something. We've created this, these beasts up with our phones yes. and we're in the wild, wild west, basically. Yes. So we have many behaviors that I am sure and not in a very long time will be crazy for us. Mm. It's like smoking. We will look back oh, yeah. at it and be like, how could we? Yeah. Insane. I can definitely see that you happening. Know. Yeah. And there will be reactions to it. Yes. I mean, we, we, we will use technology in a way that is good for us. But of course, yeah, we we'll probably will have a generation or two where they will be challenged. Yeah. You know. And I think it's really important in this. There's so many unanswered questions. Yeah. And it's important having researchers and scientists exploring the questions as well as artists yeah. as yourself yeah, yeah, exploring and trying to illustrate. So 
I really want to take the time to thank you so much for thank the you. work you do and your time here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Really great perspective. And you gave me a positive outlook on uh, online dating. I'm really glad for that. And also a view of where this might be heading. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing your insights. It's been great having you here. Thank you very much. Science fiction and the cultural imaginary, they point the way, right? Yes, That's part yes. of our collective dreaming. And that is a very important function, yes. I think. Uh, certainly, you know, without artists depicting space, uh, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have really dreamed of, of, of going there, right? Yes, so yes. this, this, the, the, the role of, of science fiction is, is important for helping us think through. We just need to be clear that we are not confusing science no. fiction with us. Science. Yes. And science. Yeah. True. Thank you very much for sharing. Thank, Thank you. you very much for having me. Learnability Podcast is produced by Levels, working in the fields of digital transformation, innovation, product development, and venture. If you want to know more about us, visit at wearelevels.com. And oh yeah, if you want to find additional material and contribute to the platform, you can do that at learnability.online. That's learnability.online. Looking forward to getting in touch with you. And oh yeah, stay curious.